Hello, and a very warm welcome to a new episode of World Build, brought to you by World Architecture News from Alison and Nav. In today's episode, we speak to Craig Lewis and Nandi Nobel from Callison RTKL about smart cities, the metaverse and digital twins. As principal and practice lead of planning, landscape and urban design, Craig combines time-tested urban design and community building principles with objective data grounded in the marketplace to chart a path to greater livability, equity and sustainability. Nandi is a senior associate for the firm with a futuristic mindset striving to see beyond the horizons of human creativity in order to envision new lifestyles in a time that is yet to manifest itself. Thank you both for joining us today. To begin with, can you tell us how you would define a smart city? Smart city is a geography that has incorporated a lot of elements of the infrastructure with technology. And so really it's about um, employing sensors, employing technology to help deliver services uh, within a city and to help monitor sort of existing situations. The whole sensor thing, I'm 100% on board with as well. I think it becomes smart because of the technology, as uh, Craig says. I think we're going to see many steps where it's not only sensors, but it's more robotics. It's more the society and the, the governance of the city through data literacy and more involvement with artificial intelligence, fine tuning and making things smoother within this city. And more than anything, maybe it's the communication between all these things, which at the moment is still not like a straight road ahead because there are so many things that cannot speak with one another completely yet. And what are the benefits of living in a smart city for its inhabitants? So much about living in a city that's technologically integrated is all about improving the efficiency of service delivery, the monitoring of public safety, um, and being able to use technology to deploy services in an efficient and quicker fashion. It's about understanding where issues are popping up even before they start emerging visually, monitoring water lines that break subsurface before we start seeing ponding above. And it's also about communications between sort of the city, I see between city government and its residents. And there's a, another layer of smart city that's very much about just integrating communications as a whole for the entire city. And so it's really advancing fiber deployment um, throughout the entire city so that uh, everyone there is being able to be connected both within the city as well as to the rest of the world. And what I would like to add to that is maybe to think of smart city a little bit like you have internet in your hotel or you don't have internet in your hotel and your city can be smart and it can also not be smart. And what is sort of enabled as synergies between physical and digital infrastructure. This is what the smart city can add to the population, right? Like you can create services that were not possible before. I mean, obviously, all the maintenance things Craig speak about are absolutely there. Maintenance, monitoring, improvement of the city due to data flows and understandings that were not possible previously. But then you can also create experiences that are not about the managing of the city, but actually things that are adding completely new types of services or experiences since the city can now speak with other protocols. And Nandi, how would you define a metaverse from a global, technological and architectural point of view? In general, I think there's not 
an idea of multiple metaverses, right? Just it's it's to think about it more of as an internet. And most people understand probably the idea of an immersive version of the internet or a spatial version of the internet better than the metaverse. The metaverse is just a word out of a novel, really. So thinking of multiple types of immersive experiences that could all be accessed through the internet that is spatial, and that is the metaverse. I think that's the easiest way to think of it. So it kind of is global by default, provided that the technology is accessible. But it's more about the technology, how you access the internet. I mean, the internet's still going to be there. Probably there will be new code in the background, etc., or a new sort of blockchain protocols to track how different original assets or other types of assets move across different contexts. But it's really a form of the internet, a new way of experiencing the internet. And that can become location-based or it can be location agnostic. So if you're, you can use whichever internet service in most places, regardless of where you are. So if you're in a shopping mall or in your own hotel or whatever, there can be certain services that are available there specifically. And that's true already with a smartphone, right? So it's more how you access it. When, when it is spatial, that's when it becomes a real metaverse thing, I would say. So how then do smart cities and the metaverse go hand in hand to allow people to be better immersed in those cities? Well, we're already starting to see that immersion when it comes to commerce and particularly sort of experiential retail as people enter stores and this sort of sensing of their phone entering a store and then elements pop up um, into their phone that add to the experience of the shopping environment, the ability to be able to virtually try on or see how outfits might look on you. They're part of that continual um, immersive experience that Nandy was mentioning. And so we're starting to see that these little glimmers with most of this, it's starting with commerce. How do these things make money? And then how do we adapt them to other elements of our experience and our, our livelihood? Government is slow to adapt to some of these elements. Um, we're going to continue to see some components delivered that are uh, looking at elements of resiliency, weather patterns, sea level rise that will all be integrated. Ultimately, it's going to be something that we see the metaverse, again, it's a complementary element. We as human beings, we've got to experience physical environment, but the metaverse provides that complementary element to what we're trying to achieve. Do you think the push to get this rolling effectively and, and really very much more incorporated into architecture and the world that people live in needs to come from the government or business or indeed both in differing degrees? That's an excellent question. I think what it comes down to is that government in many ways uh, needs to monitor and regulate and enable. But for much of this technology, it really has been about the private sector delivering elements to government that benefit government, but ultimately have a profit motive. You know, there's a reason why we're trying to do certain things. Maybe it's to deliver more broadband throughout the entire city so that they can sell services to uh, more people. And then as a bonus, the local government gets to manage their streetlight program in a different way. So the government controls the right of way, literally that infrastructure, the, the fiber that's tying a lot of this stuff together. So there's a relationship, there's a partnership that's all part of that. So that's the, I think the key with cities ultimately is how they leverage that tool. 
and how they can do that. I mean, again, we're not going to look to local governments to be innovative. That's not their role, frankly. We're going to look to the private sector to be innovative and to deliver tools. And, and every city is going to be different. Seoul, South Korea is going to be a lot different than Charlotte, North Carolina and Calgary, Canada, right? Yeah, I guess it's a way really of making that marriage work, isn't it? Between the providers and the business communities that strive to make the money. So as you said, it's not the job of government to be innovative. As architects then, how does the metaverse impact the way that you design? In some ways, it's more about how we think of infrastructure we're working towards within a few years because the interface of actually accessing the metaverse is not widely available, right? So it's more for big firms like ourselves, we think of the future forecasting of where technology is within a couple of years. So when we are thinking about big projects, we don't want them to be obsolete when they're built. We want them to be ready for the environment they're actually actually built for, right? So of course, there will have to be retrofitting of these things across many cities and across many projects uh, in real life. But other than that, it's more about planning, having the, the vision for how different types of experiences become possible in a city or in a building. I think probably more often a building initially, right? Like it would be this mall is now prepared for this. Or if you think about something where a lot of people already have similar experiences would be from something like Disney World, where you can have digital and physical assets. And I think that will spread from, because like that's a very expensive endeavor at Disney, Disney Park, right? And then you will be able to make the similar or bring elements from these sort of contexts into other contexts. And you can also make them proprietary, but you can also basically hijack another (laughs) infrastructure, right? Like you could basically exhibit in a museum where you are not exhibiting. That is a possibility with the metaverse. It's not really the same thing as making it better. There are so many different ways in which you can magnify the experience in a physical context. So if there are things that the building can do by digital triggers, those can be triggered from a 3D spatial experience. And if the building can deliver something for you, whether it is a product, whether it is a service offered by a physical person who works in the space, or connect people who are all visitors in this space together, even if they didn't know each other previously, there are loads of these things that can be done because you know where people are in the space. And you can create experiences that were previously not possible. I mean, we're using, we're dipping our toe into it, really. You know, we use virtual reality to allow people to experience um, a proposed environment, whether it's a city block or a hospital room. And so there's an immersive environment that really takes our senses away from the physical and brings it into the virtual so that we can better understand design. And we can use that from a design tool to test ideas, both with clients as well as with our team to understand as particularly if we're doing non-standard design elements of what are the opportunities here. So again, it's it's dipping our toe in terms of where the technology is today, but it's it's not hard to imagine how that virtual environment then gets built um, in a bricks and mortar real estate environment. And the virtual environment becomes that digital twin that lives on and maybe it gets attached, it gets incorporated as part of a larger environment. What are your feelings about security and the privacy issues that the integration of the metaverse will no doubt bring up? So I obviously don't know everything about privacy, but I think if we think about the internet today, because of uh, new interfaces, 
there will be more issues because you will know where some person is even looking and how, for how long they're looking at something. And the, the newer types of interfaces that big game companies are working towards are literally reading brainwaves. So uh, <laughs> it will be very tricky. Uh, I think a lot of people will just want the experiences even just the way you use probably everyone on this call probably uses services today without having read all the fine print and even agreeing with all the fine print, but you just want to be using the service. So you just click accept and that's happening. I mean, there is a lot of, there are a lot of issues around that. The problem is government is working slow there as well, right? Because there will, there are so many people who are trying to innovate and make money in, in the digital sphere that government don't have the resources to even read through everything new that's coming out, I'm guessing. I think when it comes to real estate and design, I think that's an important element. You know, the Sidewalk Labs, a subsidiary of Google, um, was proposing a 12-acre project called Keyside in Toronto. And it went down in flames famously in large respect because the community of the citizens there were really nervous about the amount of sensors and the things that were going to be deployed to make this a truly smart development. You know, the interesting thing about it was, yeah, all that technology was being deployed in one place and it was all being delivered really all at the same time. But we have other cities where that level of oversight and the technological deployment has happened a lot more incrementally, like London, which famously has the highest number of cameras of any city uh, that are monitoring things all the time. And so, you know, we look at places like Singapore and even New York City is starting to integrate that. And that a lot of those are private. That's not a public element. Those are private cameras or private sensors uh, that are managing individual projects. It's something that we are we're aware of, but I think the public is also very concerned about it. Yeah, we give away a lot of data for free services on our phones, but are we going to allow you know ourselves to continue to be monitored where we're walking down the street? The jury's still out on that one. Yeah, this is a really complex issue, but then the metaverse will combine what some may consider science fiction and reality. And perhaps, too, we are wiser beings when it comes to data sharing now. We know that nothing comes for free. Do you think the Internet, as it is now, can cope with the new load that these developments will will surely bring onto it? Well, it's fascinating because what we experienced during the pandemic of the last two years and our ability to literally keep the economy moving globally was only made manifest because of a number of technological upgrades and changes that occurred a couple of years before because of the advent of high-capacity streaming services. So it was, again, the sort of commerce-driven need to improve capacity that allowed all of us to work from home. Can you imagine what the global economy would have looked like 15 years ago? We would have completely melted. The idea about having Teams or Zoom calls all the time would have completely melted our internet capacity. But again, it was because of there was a profit-driven reason why we upgraded switches you know, globally to be able to do that, that allowed to do that. And I think we're going to continue to see that. I think that the folks that are 
running commerce are going to continue to show and drive the need to uh, prove and expand that. One thing to add to that is also like three of the most important technologies for a metaverse concept to work. I mean, this goes beyond the architectural side, but also the actual design of architecture potentially can win or suffer from this. But blockchain technology, real-time rendering, and artificial intelligence basically all run on the same type of chips, and all of them are in shortage. So they're competing for the same type of resource to actually all run at the moment. So, I mean, that is a bottleneck here and now, but I, I don't think either of us know enough about exactly how quickly innovation and production can happen in that area. But there are bottlenecks at the moment to deliver upon the the huge promise of what the metaverse can bring forth. And where do you think in the world is the nearest environment to a smart city at the moment? You mentioned London, but are there any other smart cities in development that you're aware of? I would say that Seoul, South Korea is probably the most advanced in terms of its deployment. And I wouldn't actually consider London to be a smart city just because they have a lot of technology that's deployed. As I mentioned, it, it's disaggregated, it's fragmented. Um, it's not integrated. So while there's a lot of technology in every individual building, they're not tied together. It's when you get into places, I think in, in Asia, particularly in Singapore and Seoul and even Hong Kong, I think there's a lot more integration of that technology, binding everything together. Hmm. And do you think this technology enables architects to develop a more sustainable design solution for future-proofing cities? I know Nandi talked about the need to look into the future. Do you think you get enough information at the moment, this moment in time, to be able to do that with your designs? Well, for us, when we're talking about future proofing, it's interesting because so much of the design work that we do is based on human experience. And so it really, and, and that human experience is something that we have learned over thousands of years. It, you know, it's fascinating when you look at it's sort of the archaeology of, of civilization that not a lot has changed in architecture and how cities are put together for a couple thousand years across cultures because people are wired in a way to interact with buildings, interact our, with our environment. You know, it's something that's hardwired into our brains. The things that we're starting to learn in terms of future proofing really goes into more resilience elements and protecting ourselves from particularly weather events and other things that are coming from climactic changes, fireproofing places uh, in Australia, Western US, and how we manage sea level rise and how we manage that living around water where so many of our global cities are. That's going to be an important element, how we get rid of water, you know, during a storm event and how quickly that does. That's that's an element that's got to be integrated as part of, you know, sensor technology in our, our sewers. So they're not backing up and dealing with that. But the physical form of our cities, it's, it'll be interesting to see. I, I'm, I'm someone who, who does believe that, you know, we are hardwired to experience people, not things. And uh, we want to be around other people as much as we can. And so I think that that's a big part of that using design to encourage people to be together. That's something we've learned out of this pandemic. As much as we lived in a virtual world, when things started to open up, people rushed back to be around other people. Yeah, the joy of human interaction. It is something, as you say, we all now possibly understand more about than we did prior to COVID. We just took it for granted, really, didn't we then? And finally, I'd like to talk to you both about the concept of digital twins. What's your definition of a digital twin? Perhaps, Craig, I could go to you with that question. 
Well, it's something that we've we've touched on already, which is we establish a digital model that is essentially a, the digital replica of the physical world. And it allows us to kind of maintain both at the same time and test ideas, particularly for the physical world, of changes. And we can make changes in the digital world and say, you know, how, what happens when we add a building or we manage parking differently? Uh, we change the skin of a building and, and are able to sort of test the reflectivity of the glass curtain wall relative to the neighbors. We can get data back from that because we have this model built. It's integrated on this sort of base of data before we start testing ideas in the real world. And it also allows us to maintain the sort of purity of what's happening in the digital world when things get kind of messy in the real world, as they often do. And one of the things that for example, infrastructure and utility companies. There are a lot of utility companies that, that do work within a city. And a lot of times they do a lot of what we call break-fix. Stuff just happens and they've got to repair it in the middle of the night and it's no longer part of the sort of original workings. Being able to track that and understand how that works using the digital twin of the original allows us to understand where the potential is when some of these break fixes happen in the middle of the night and monitoring those going forward. Yeah. And is there a library of these digital twins being put together? It makes sense to me that it would benefit communities if people could see what's inside, say, the building next door to see if it's going to influence a new design. Or are we, for safety's sake, still at the siloed stage of having independent digital twins? Oh, that's a huge issue when it comes to privacy and security. And I think that's, you know, the idea of uploading all of your floor plans where all of your equipment is and everything else onto something that's publicly accessible. Unfortunately, we've seen too many movies where that goes bad really quickly. Die Hard, I think, has scarred many an architect. Right. So, you know, and then we, we start talking about infrastructure, which is also an issue when it comes to terrorism. We have to be very mindful of the fact that hitting water supplies, hitting our power uh, generation facilities, uh, those types of things, we have to we have to protect those. We have to keep that that locked down. So there may be value at some point in opening these things up, but I think we have to be very careful. You have the real-time simulation, I think, is a word that is relevant. The more sensors you put into a building, the more you can actually monitor things more realistically, right? Like as Craig says, you can look at the building as it's meant to be. Because of the granularity of the sensors, you can increasingly well understand where things go wrong, where things can be fine-tuned. I mean, in the long term, you want artificial intelligence to help you see patterns humans don't understand properly and help fine-tune buildings further. Thank you very much both for taking part today. This is obviously a developing area and I feel we could be at the beginning of a new era for design and architecture. But I think as you've both pointed out, there are really critical key issues such as security, privacy and the ability for the hardware to keep up with the technology that need to be sorted. But I think I step away from this thinking this is a very positive move if we can get all of those elements working correctly together. So thank you again. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. We welcome your feedback on the podcast. So please aim all your comments to waneditorial at haymarket.com. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So follow, download and join us. Thank you.